Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Brooks. Calling all running nerds, Brooks has just dropped the Go 16, a sweet name for an even sweeter shoe. If you're looking for comfort for that morning jog or when you're hopping on that treadmill, look no further than the Go 16, which has a nitrogen-infused cushioning. That means it's nice, soft, and lightweight. So you got the comfort, but you don't sacrifice the speed. Turn those everyday miles into everyday endorphins and the better-than-ever Brooks Go 16. Click or tap the banner to learn more. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity, the unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome into the Ringerverse, your Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I am Ben Lindbergh, a senior editor for The Ringer, and much like Master Chief with his Spartan Silver team, I'm leading a three-person squad on Button Mesh today. All of them augmented and trained since they were six years old to be great guests on podcasts. Returning to the program, where we always leave a light on for her, is former co-host and current friend, Jessica Clemens. Nice to see and hear you again, Jess. Hi, I love this. Um, let me be the Kai, um, who is probably my least favorite Spartan. <laughs> least favorite Spartan? My most favorite Spartan. But oh, we'll, we'll get no. to that later. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be the Kai if you don't like Kai. I like Kai. <laughs> oh, you could right. be Kai then. We'll table that for now. Joining Jess and me for this first segment is Ringer Deputy Art Lead, Matt James. Howdy, Matt. Hey, Ben. Just happy to be a Spartan. Just <laughs> <laughs> take whichever one. Yeah, there are only four of them, <laughs> at least in Silver Team. Not many Spartans to go around. It's a problem for the war effort. Later on this action-packed pod, we have a crossover segment in store. Jess and I will welcome in a midnight boy, Charles Holmes, for his first <laughs> official button mash appearance as we discuss Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which came out for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox last week. And after that, as we just teased, Jess and I will close out the episode by discussing Halo Season 2, which came back this week with a two-episode premiere on Paramount+. Plus. Jess, I don't know about you, but my stances on Suicide Squad and Halo are sort of similar. There's yeah. a, a lot to like about both, but there are also some confounding, frustrating elements that leave me feeling unfulfilled, disappointed, 100%. plagued by a sense of squandered potential. And so oh, God. I'm looking forward to talking about why that is. But because our reviews may be mixed, let's say, I thought it might make sense to start with a little hype and positivity today. That's why Matt is here, <laughs> because he is a human Woo. ray of sunshine. He oh. lights up our lives. He radiates joy. 
And recently, he emerged more glowing than ever from an extended hands-on preview of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So, Matt, we want to get your brief report from that preview event. I also want to ask each of you for a capsule review of a good game you've been playing recently. But first, let's do a few rapid-fire reactions to some major news. News item number one, Xbox bros have been melting down over (laughs) rumors and reports that Xbox exclusives such as Starfield, Hi-Fi Rush, Sea of Thieves, Indiana Jones, and even perhaps Halo could be coming to other platforms, including arch-rival PlayStation. On Monday, head of Xbox Phil Spencer, fresh off a whole lot of layoffs, fanned the flames by acknowledging the reports and promising a, quote, business update event for next week, in which he tweeted, we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Pending those details, we could refrain for now from an in-depth discussion of the significance of exclusivity in 2024. But Matt, what is your instant take to the possible demise of Xbox exclusives? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm an I'm an Xbox guy. I don't know if an Xbox bro, uh, but I also I also have a PS5 as well. Yeah, I think I think that uh, uh, unsurprisingly, people are uh, a little bit a little bit too hyped, a little bit too upset, a little bit too a little bit too everything on this so far. We don't know the details fully yet, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that uh, if if Xbox games end up on PlayStation, it's going to be weird at first. It certainly was weird the first time we saw Sonic on a Nintendo system. Mm-hmm. It certainly was weird the first time a PlayStation ex- exclusive showed up on PC. Uh, but I think over time, these things kind of normalize. And yeah. I, I get that if you're an Xbox owner and you could only pick between one system, you picked your Xbox over PS5. And now you're saying to yourself, well, I can't. I still can't play those Incredibles PlayStation first party games and now the PS5 people are going to get to play Starfield mm-hmm. and and all of our ex- mm-hmm. so I get no that fair. you'd be mad about that but we also yeah. don't know is it is it going to be like a year delay are mm-hmm. these things going to be delayed that right. long like there are details that we don't know yeah uh, timed if, exclusive perhaps yeah if you have both systems or a, a means of playing both systems I think you know this is a good thing for you because ultimately it means that Xbox is going to make more money and therefore yeah. continue to exist and therefore not let Sony run wild with pricing and with do, you know, full reign over whatever they want to do. So competition is good. Yeah. So whatever keeps Xbox healthy is still going to be what's best for the industry, in my opinion. Jess, you symbolically unplugged your Xbox controller in order to clear a port for our recording today. Is that a sign of things to come? I was just charging it. It was overcharged. It's fine. Um, No, but I ultimately, I agree with Matt, too, where I think the only, like, we don't know yet. But when I was thinking about it, I was also just like, yeah, I'm, which I always lead with, like, the people that don't have both systems. Uh, That's the only, like, fault. Um, It's going to make them more money. I was thinking, like, didn't Sega do the same thing for Sonic? Um, So I was like, yeah, they're just going to make a lot more money. I miss Sega consoles, though, (laughs) but still. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. The Dreamcast will never die in my mind. But I agree. We're all in the somewhat privileged position of owning lots of consoles. Our Mm -hmm. console cup runneth over. So that frees us from allegiance to any one brand. And so on a personal level, 
I couldn't care less, right? Bring on the Microsoft multi-platform era, let more people play good games. It's also not that shocking when you consider, as you guys said, there's already been some multi-platform creep because you can play Xbox and PlayStation games on PC. Some Xbox games have come out on Switch. Plus, Microsoft has been pretty explicit about talking up cloud gaming, streaming, making it possible to play Xbox games on virtually every device. Last year, their CFO said our mission is to bring our first party experiences and our subscription services to every screen that can play games. So it's sort of an extension of their existing strategy, but it's also a bridge that's been too far up to this point. And so I understand why if you are an Xbox stand to the extent that I can understand being a console warrior in this day and age, (laughs) right? But I get why it rubs some people the wrong way. Maybe it's kind of a concession. Hey, we're still a distant third in console sales after a couple decades of making these things. Maybe it's long-term sort of surrender, right? I don't think they're going to get out of the console manufacturing business overnight, but maybe it means they see themselves as more of a software company than a hardware one, which is kind of in keeping with Microsoft's overall business. Plus, they've acquired Minecraft, Call of Duty, et cetera, right? They've already kind of become a third-party publisher, and so maybe they've seen how lucrative that can be. There are a lot of people who play PlayStation. They want to sell those games to PlayStation people. So it's not that shocking, and yet it is somewhat surprising. But we'll see. We'll see what this actually amounts to when this update comes out. Yeah, we have to wait and see for sure. But, you know, I think that three of us can all relate to to growing up and only having one of the mm-hmm. consoles per generation, yes. right? And yeah. when you're when you're a kid and when you can't you, you got one, like this this means the world to you. Like this yeah. is your this is your only <laughs> for me, it's my only like escape from yeah. you know, uh, school being annoying and just, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a big deal if you only have one. So, I yeah. I feel for I feel for everyone who who only has an Xbox and is is feeling left behind. You got to find a friend who has whichever one you don't have, and then you can basically live at their house for a while. Yeah. Just God forbid you have a, a friend instead of just an Xbox. You know? <laughs> Xbox is your friend in yeah, some cases. Xbox is my friend. <laughs> Until this betrayal. It also, it reminds me a bit of how we're constantly seeing content come to other platforms that in the past it wouldn't have come to. There would have been some sort of wall there, like WB licensing HBO shows to Netflix, for instance, right? Or companies with streaming services also airing those shows on linear TV or podcast companies putting less of an emphasis on exclusivity and more on multi-platform appeal because you're reaching more people. So I think there's a desire to hit more ears, more eyeballs, make more sales because it's just it's so tough to cut through the clutter of the content that is constantly coming out. And so it's, hey, let's just put this in front of as many people as I can. My only concern long term is that if Xbox does get out of the console making business, then that is less competition. Maybe ultimately that's not great for consumers. It's still competition Mm -hmm. on the software side. But if Sony sort of owns the high powered console space, who knows what the ramifications of that could be. I've had good times with Xbox in my day. I would miss Xboxes. News Mm -hmm. item number two, Disney is taking a $1.5 billion equity stake in Epic Games and partnering with Epic on a (laughs) Fortnite-connected games and entertainment universe where, per the press release, 
Players, gamers, and fans will be able to create their own stories and experiences, express their fandom in a distinctly Disney way, whatever that means, and share yep. content with each other in ways that they love. What Jess, the hell? <laughs> you like Fortnite. You like Disney IP. You <laughs> yes. like sharing content. You're a content <laughs> sharer. How this do you is, feel? <laughs> this is molded for me, and I yeah, hate it. This is I, a, as soon as it dropped, I went, I went, I hate money, but damn, <laughs> they're going to take all my... We, last time we talked, Matt, on the podcast, we talked about like Fortnite is just made to dig into our wallets. Mm -hmm. It is at, it is doing that again, like more... So, putting Disney... Okay, so first off, if they're trying to just put in characters, they already released a lot of the Marvel characters on there, so I don't... And Star Wars, too. But they know they're going to get us if they put the princesses in there and they put weird like Mufasa in there. If you could play a scar, that'd be insane. So I think it's like I understand it. I completely understand where Bob Iger's going. He's like, hey, we can if we're going to get into video games, let's do it in a video game that's already making a lot of money. Let's mm -hmm. do it in Fortnite. And if they're creating a different map that is just Disney World and I'm just running around in it, buying things and acting like it's Disney World, I'll still do that. Yeah. Like even I don't have to kill people. I, uh, escapism is my number one thing. I love that's why I like Animal Crossing. <laughs> but like I'll do it. Uh, and so I'm just like, damn, they're gonna take my money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> take my money. That's and the they plan. know what they're doing. They, they're, yeah, they really do know what they're doing. Even it blew up as like even a joke. People are like, absolutely. If I can do a dance like this as Winnie the Pooh, I'm gonna do it. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They learned from Disney Dreamlight Valley and now they're weaponizing that they're going to take all our money. It seems like it's not just going to be new skins, right? It's going to be some sort of digital theme park where mm -hmm. you can do everything Disney. Who knows? Maybe it'll be premieres potentially for shows as we were oh, just talking about true. getting content in front of as many people as possible. It's mm -hmm. great that's news true. for Disney adults, I guess. Matt, what do you make of this? Well, you have two corporations that are among the finest in all of the world at separating from children and parents <laughs> from their money. Yep. Um, so it makes so much sense. It's a partnership. Um, I'm curious to see what it actually develops into. You know, I've actually talked about on this podcast how uh, Disney Dreamlight Valley is is kind of fun and it, mm -hmm. it isn't like going out of its way to try and hit you with microtransactions uh, but I know that Fortnite loves it when you pump money into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Loves yep. it when you pump money into it. So I think that's, I would be shocked if we entered into whatever this Disney thing develops into and it wasn't really trying to nickel and dime you every five seconds <laughs> for this or that. Yeah. First there was Lego Fortnite. Now there's Disney Fortnite. For me, it just cements Fortnite status further as the closest thing there is to a legitimate metaverse. Everyone just wants to be a part of Fortnite. It also sort of cements Disney's status as a gaming powerhouse, even though Disney doesn't mm. make its own games anymore. Just yeah. as a licensor of its IP, it is super powerful. And that strategy has largely been working out well for them lately. Final news item. We knew April was going to be a big month for TV adaptations with Fallout premiering on Prime Video on April 12th. Now we know, courtesy of a trailer released this week, that two weeks after that, on April 26th, the six-episode Sonic the Hedgehog spinoff Knuckles will be coming to the home of Halo, Paramount+. Plus. It stars Idris Elba, reprising his role as the titular Echidna, and it takes place between the events of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and this December's Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Jess, what did you make of the trailer? 
how do you feel about this expansion of the Sonic cinematic and TV yeah. universe? Firstly, I'm going to say I forgot until you just told me that they're coming out with the movie and the series in the same year. Yep. That's that's wild. Uh, the Sonic franchise is constantly surprising me. I'm so surprised. I'm just surprised by it in general uh, because we remember how it started with the teeth and the fur and everyone hated it. And then they had to redo mm -hmm. it, came out and the movie was actually very fun. And then we were really happy and supportive of the second one because they brought back this uh, original cast member for Tales. And I was also still having fun. And I'm like, they are putting in these comedians that we haven't seen in a long time that are really turning out these roles and having fun. And we all support it. And it's all going. And then when I saw the Knuckles trailer, I was like, it's Black History Month. <laughs> and you guys are playing Nuck If You Buck on this trailer for Letter a character is clearly red, but it is a black character. Yeah, and the, well, when Shadow Charles the Hedgehog's we'll coming about. soon. That's so, what I was, okay, well, yeah. I guess he could also be black, but <laughs> Knuckles is now canonically black. And I'm just like, this is, and it's only six episodes. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm actually excited for it. I think the franchise is really fun, especially when we're watching a bunch of stuff that we have to like review and critique all the time. I think the series is going to be fun still for me to watch. And I haven't watched something that's like been like, oh, I just want to watch something fun. Something yeah. that's just nice for me that I don't have to like beat up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. As we said, when um, we talked about cyberpunk, trust in Idris, right? You can always count on him. Mm. And it looks good effects wise, too. Yeah. Doesn't look any less big budget because it's on TV. So I'll probably be tuning in. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, it looks fun. Like Jess said, it's fun. All the all, every piece of Sonic media <laughs> looks yeah. fun. Like both movies, the show looks really fun. And I think yeah. that, you know, it's so easy to make an adaptation of something and, and make it too serious. And these Sonic movies and this show look like they get it. Like it's it's supposed to be really fun. And these things have been. And the production value of this show looks just as high as the movies. So mm -hmm. there's it's plenty to be excited about. And they have yeah. more and more characters to tap into. This this thing can go a while. <laughs> do you know if they like, do you think they like, while they're shooting the third movie, they're like, okay, we need to also splice this in with the series. Cause they're also, they're shooting on the same locations. A lot of the same, like the house, cars, same people. Do you think it was easier to like, or just like to stop the movie, pick up the series? I, how do they do the scheduling for that? If it's coming out all at the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, I yeah. assume it's coordinated narratively and production-wise. Sonic versus Mario, again, just in the animated realm now, not in the mm -hmm. console wars anymore. So let's end this intro with two mini-reviews and one mini-preview. There are always good games coming out that we don't have time to devote a full episode or segment to, but I hate to see them slip through the cracks. And it just so happens that each of you has been playing a good game that came out on the same day, late last month, Jess, as the official fighting game enthusiast of Button Mash, give us your one-minute review. I mean it. One-minute review. Wait, wait. Give me a minute and a second. Let me look at my... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay. Of the latest big-name game driving the fighting game renaissance, Tekken 8. Okay. As someone that hasn't really played the other Tekken games, I think jumping into the storyline, which is really nice with the story, is they tell you all about the other Tekken games at the beginning. Great. Okay. I think the story is very chaotic and crazy mm -hmm. and kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of bad. It's insane to me. This is coming from someone that does not play the game. So as a newcomer, 
crazy as hell. Mm-hmm. I do like that all the characters speak different languages and all understand each other. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> the I should have just jumped directly into the fighting. And if you're a new person playing the game, I would say you could skip the story. I played the story in one day, like Mortal Kombat 1. It was easy to go through in one day, but it's still like, I don't need to play this storyline. I should have just went to the actual fighting. And the actual fighting was very fun because as a beginner, they have this system where you can just, it's like simple, simple. I don't think the other games did it. I, I forget what it's called, but you can just button mash and it'll create, it'll be like, oh, close enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like a simple mode. Okay. And I was like, oh, great. Perfect. Because it does feel different than Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, but um, I can button mash and still beat people. That's good. That's what I was going to ask you. Street Fighter Six had something sort of similar, right? The modern control scheme. So I, I appreciate yeah. how how noob friendly, how accessible these fighting games are for people like me. I, I, it's a good it's a good adjustment. I think a lot of fighting games should do that. I don't know if Mortal Kombat did, but they did. They did Mortal Kombat do that? Not to the same extent. Yeah. No, they yeah. should because I was button mashing, and even if I did the simple mode, I sometimes got my ass kicked. So it's not like it's the foolproof, but you know. And Matt, you've been doing some fighting too. You've been putting a lot of time into the ninth mainline entry in the Like a Dragon, aka Yakuza series, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Based on the hour counts I've seen, that subtitle seems pretty accurate, at least the infinite part. <laughs> Give us your very short review of this very long game. Uh, it's great, Ben. It's 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 <laughs> the best of of what the series does. It is doubling down on all the zany and goofy and ridiculous things that make people love this game. It is also got really like compelling story stuff. Like the drama in it is good. And as always, there are a billion little mini games to, to play throughout this kooky world. And uh, the fighting system in this is actually turn-based but you can kind of move around and reposition before taking your turn and the characters all like interact with each other so the fighting system is very good and uh as a turn-based fighting system they make sure that you are in and out of that battle like immediately there's no waiting for the victory screen to play and to like slamming the x button to try and get it to go no it's very quick you're in you're out combat's great uh, it's just a joy to play. Um, so uh, I recommend it. But also you should probably have played other games in the series first. Well, that was going to be my follow up for you. Just asking for a friend. Hypothetically, mm-hmm. if someone had never played any of the Yakuza Like a Dragon games or their spinoffs and feels overwhelmed by the prospect of getting into them now, where might it make sense to start? Well, there are two sort of main protagonists in this game. And uh, the... So there's one that's been essentially the main protagonist since the very beginning. Uh, So if you really need to be up on the whole story, then you need to play almost all of them. Or you could (laughs) do Yakuza 0. But you definitely should play uh, the previous Like a Dragon game uh, before this one. That feels like absolutely mandatory. In fact, I was kind of surprised at how confused you would be if you hadn't played the last one. Okay. Um, so yeah. if you want the full experience, that's going to be a few hundred hours of your life <laughs> right. starting way back. But if you don't want that, if you just want to be up to date on on the newest protagonist and the one who's going to be really at the heart of it moving forward, the previous Like a Dragon game, that's good enough. It really is. Okay. Good to know. We might have to devote a full episode to that series at some point, just explaining Like a Dragon if you missed the previous <laughs> few hundred hours, because sometimes you get behind, it's tough to catch up. 
I wish I could say the same about Suicide Squad getting you in and out of fights with no annoying menus. <laughs> but Dude, we'll oh. get there. We'll get there oh, soon. Oh, my God. <laughs> Last but not least, Matt. A Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo dropped this week on the PlayStation Store, so anyone who wants a taste can spend some time in Nibelheim ahead of Rebirth release on the 29th. But you had an extended sit-down play session at a recent in-person preview event. The Slack message you sent me afterward was, Rebirth is better than Remake in every way so far. <laughs> so that sounds promising. Briefly, care to elaborate? Uh, yeah. So the, I went to the press event. Uh, it was super fun. I got to uh, sit down with it for about four hours or so. So I played what everybody played in the demo. And then I got uh, to kind of hit the open world, uh, which I think people aren't really prepared for how much the open world experience changes the entire experience of the the, the Final Fantasy VII remake project. Uh the previous game, Final Fantasy Remake, kind of, you know, a big criticism that people had was it did feel a bit like you're on rails. Uh, you know, you're moving from one section of the game to the next, sort of in service of the plot. Uh, from what I played in that in that press event, the open world kind of allows you to pace the game as you like. Uh, and I've talked a lot on this podcast about open world fatigue and and how I'm sick of open world games. But man, let me tell you, I didn't feel that at all. Mm. <laughs> the second I opened up into that overworld with all the characters around me and the Final Fantasy music swelling and just being given free reign to explore this world, it's a, it's just a whole nother level. And there are all these little things about the open world, the way they designed it, these quality of life things that are just everywhere that make it so enjoyable like you know how in red dead or any game with like where you have a horse or a mount or whatever you approach the thing and you're like oh i gotta hit it from the right angle to hit yeah. triangle and like oh i just want to get on this horse let's go right <laughs> yeah so when you get your chocobo you, if you walk up to it you're on it and you're moving mm, right yeah. when you're on your chocobo if they're items you hit triangle you're gonna pick them up every time really loose you can break boxes. You can you can do everything you need to do on the chocobo seamlessly. Uh, it, it's little things like this that the game so far seems to be like filled with these these little like if you climb up a tower, you spend a while climbing up the tower. At the end, at the top, there's a quick way to get down. All these little systems uh, throughout the experience where I can tell like this game has been focus tested. And, yeah. and gameplay tested and they are designing this open world thing with with a keen eye on what people haven't liked about open world games in the past few years so i that event left me really really excited to see how that open world uh changes this experience i'm pretty um, pumped yeah, yeah very I was excited. before i heard you talk about this I am even more now. I don't know if you two remember this, but there is an exploit in the original PlayStation version of Final Fantasy VII where you could cast regen and then eject the disc tray and time would keep passing. So your health would keep climbing from the spell, but you couldn't get hurt because the system had to read from the disc in order for the enemies to attack you. Yeah, damn. That's what just happened here. You just cast regen on me and ejected the disc. So nothing anyone says about Suicide Squad or Halo can hurt me. I will just keep gaining HP 
hype points for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Because every second is bringing us closer to what's shaping up to be the biggest and maybe best game of the year. Other than Pow World, of course. Oh. <laughs> I'm impressed that you put Pow World down long enough to check out Final Fantasy, but that speaks to its uh, quality. It was only four-hour event, then. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Matt, well, you are... Well, back to Pow World. <laughs> yeah. You're leaving the party for now, but we will talk to you next time. Thanks for fueling our Final Fantasy hype. Indeed. Uh, happy to be here. It's going to be a fun month, and I can't wait to hear uh, y'all hate on some things. (laughs) (laughs) But we will love some things later this month, and speaking of which, we'll be bringing you back-to-back button mashes on Final Fantasy in the coming weeks. In a couple of weeks, we will discuss some big questions about Rebirth and do a Final Fantasy-themed build-your-own-party draft. And after that, it will be time to talk about the game itself. While we're teasing future button mashes, we might as well tell you what's coming up elsewhere in the Ringerverse. On Monday, Mint Edition will be bringing you their Super Bowl trailer reactions. Meanwhile, the Midnight Boys are in the Amazon researching spiders so they can bring you their instant reactions on Wednesday to what's sure to be a cinematic masterpiece, Madam Web. And over on House of R, look for Mal and Joe's Valentine's Day special. And later in the week, a rundown of the animated Avatar's top moments followed by me and Mal on The Bad Batch the following week. And remember, you can contact us with questions and comments at ringerversegaming at gmail.com. You think you can stop us? Let's dance! I thought working together would be a train wreck, and you do not disappoint! Okay, so that's what we'll be doing down the road. But what's on tap for this segment? In other words, what are we doing here? Here's what we're doing. We're celebrating Midnight Mash because we're talking to the man, the myth, the Midnight Boy. He's not a hater. He just has high standards. It's Charles. (laughs) (laughs) Charles, welcome to Bud Mesh. (laughs) Yo, thank you guys for having me, even if what we're about to talk about has given me a headache for a couple couple nights. <laughs> well, yeah, we made like Amanda Waller here and we implanted a bomb in your head to force you to play Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And you are here to discuss that experience with us. A bit of background for people who have not followed the Justice League saga for the past years, which would have been hard to miss. But Kill the Justice League is a new game from the makers of the legendary Batman Arkham Trilogy, Rocksteady Studios, published by Warner Brothers Games, it's a spinoff of the Arkham games starring the titular Suicide Squad and the Brainiac-controlled sub-titular Justice League and just about every other DC character who could conceivably be in Metropolis, which sounds promising on paper. I mean, the Arkham games meet some mashup of JLA, Tower of Babel, and Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Crime Syndicate of America and DC's Dark Universe. I'm sold. However... Unlike the single-player offline Arkham games, this is a multiplayer, always-online, live-service, open-world looter shooter, a genre that executives love because of the theoretical potential for infinite revenue, but gamers are increasingly cooling on. And as a result, this game got prejudged, as everyone decided, understandably, based on descriptions and trailers, that this wasn't the kind of DC game they wanted from Rocksteady. Now it's here. After several years in development, repeated delays, it turns out that some of the misgivings were justified. Others were arguably overblown, but maybe we'll have that argument right now. 
Charles, I get the sense that Jess is slightly higher on this game than you are. So you want to lead us off? What's your take on Kill the Justice League? You know, I think I'd like to start this off with making anything is hard. Making video games <laughs> seem very hard. It seems very, Uh-oh. very hard and difficult. <laughs> and like, but, I think but... I'm probably, I'll be real. Like I'm coming from a, I am the most basic boy, 30 year old gamer. Like if Spider-Man 2 comes out, I'll play that shit. And then I'm going to just go back to Astral Ascent. Like I'm not, I'm just a very simple man. So maybe this game just isn't for me, but like playing it, you already described it. It felt like it was trying to do too much. It wanted to be like a jack of all trades and just was not, it did not master any of them. So while I had fun, like there was moments where I'm like, oh yeah, shooting this shit is fun. Being King Shark is like dope or whatever. I'm not heartless. I'm just like, I'm a big shark shooting (laughs) shit. Dope. Yeah. But then it just, there's kind of a repetitiveness that sinks in. Oh, and yeah. almost like an emotionless where I'm just like, I've been shooting at these like crusty brainiac motherfuckers for hours and I feel nothing. <laughs> and he's just like, it's kind of, there's like a numbing quality to the game, which is like cool for the first couple of times. I'm just like, I'm too numb. I need to go do anything else. Yeah. Is is that too much haterade? No. Jess? Uh, like, maybe we don't it? disagree at all, actually. Oh, dope. I think that was to a T and that's fine. You were actually much nicer than I, I was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> which is wow, wild. what an upset but yeah it was that repetitiveness is i think what everyone has been saying in their reviews and it is it got to a point where i would black out and i was like wait i'm doing the same thing i was like wait i'm doing the same thing yeah. I, I was telling ben i was pressing r2 every time because i just wanted to see with different characters i was like do i just have to press r2 the entire time every time i was fighting a purple monster and yeah you do that's all you do. And then the story advances, and then you go back to fighting the purple monsters. And then the yeah. story advances, and you go back to fighting the purple monsters. And I was like, damn, I fought these people like 30 times. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just like, it's funny because you were like, I'm a simple man. And I was like, this is a simple game. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, a, but here's, game. it's, this is a simple game, but everything that they add on top of it, like there's always some new type of like like we have riddle quests now and you just saved poison ivy little girl and you got to go to penguin you got to do all this shit and i'm just like do i though like like this isn't fun like it felt like there was just all of this shit like added on top of it that i was like i don't guys come on take a Why little did- off the pizza do we know? I, I don't know if, well, how anyone would know this, but like they did add so many characters, like additional things to it that I was like, it's getting convoluted now. Like, damn, yeah. I thought it was just Justice League. Like, I, baby, baby Ivy and uh, the penguin, I was like, okay, this is fun and funny. What? Why? <laughs> why? First, Gizmo, why I... Gizmo pops Gizmo, up. Yeah. Like, which has, it's been a problem with some other superhero games because we talked about that with Spider-Man too, where it's just like another boss. This boss yes. is in there too. This villain. I guess that's a problem with some Spider-Man movies for that matter. But yeah. there's always a temptation to just throw everything yes. into the pot. And I kind of get it. Like, okay, we're running around Metropolis. It's kind of cool to run into all these characters, but ultimately it's just a little too much. And it might work if it weren't so bland and so repetitive just when it comes to the actual missions, right? And that's ultimately the thing that does this game in. And it's sad, it's disappointing because a lot of it feels like Arkham and reminds you of classic Rocksteady. And that makes it worse because you can kind of see the seeds of games that you really loved or games that this could have been because graphically, cosmetically, 
animation wise, it looks really nice. And I think it feels good to play, right? Like the shooting is incredibly repetitive, but it also satisfying. It feels good. I like the combat system. I like running around mindlessly pressing R2 for at least a while, but you got to give me a different way to press R2 or a different motivation to press R2. It's fun to run around this world and shoot stuff, but that thrill wears off. And after a few hours, yeah, I just lost that feeling where like you put the controller down and you don't feel that need to pick it up again. Was this always supposed to be like a loot and shoot always online game or did they add that in at some point? I think it's been part of it from the get-go. It's gone through a lot of permutations and I'd love the full behind the scenes tell all. (laughs) How did this game get made? Because there was supposed to be a Suicide Squad game going back more than a decade at this point with a different WB studio. And then that got canceled. It got transferred to Rocksteady. As I understand it, Rocksteady was enthusiastic about the idea of a Suicide Squad game, but this is not in their wheelhouse, obviously. This is not what they've done before. I don't know to what degree it was dictated from above and to what degree they chose this or it was just like, hey, if you make it this way, you get a much bigger budget. But it's tough to go from that single player offline experience to this in one go. And we've seen that with a lot of other companies before. You know, if you're trying to make Anthem or you're trying to make Redfall or whatever it is, and that's not your strength, then sometimes the seams start to show, right? There's something really lost in translation. I want to see the 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 steps to making this game so badly if there was like a book that could just showcase every step of not just the the game but, but the decade ago of production only because i was like the story feels like there was i know there's probably a lot of hands in the pot i get that but i'm just like at what point did you guys just like say yes to this no to that how did they decide this who was the story person that made the story because those didn't even translate to the actual gameplay and respectfully i just hate it <laughs> I, I mean also it, the, there what there's also a part of me where i think i just think the suicide squad concept is starting to feel a little cursed hmm. where it's like they're always promising you something they're just like it's gonna be cool the thing about the suicide squad they can blow up at any time oh my god we have amanda waller she's so fucking <laughs> badass and then like <laughs> It's Harley okay. Quinn's never gonna die. Like that's no. the problem. Yes, you know. Although like, everyone else in could any die. Yes. It's called kill the Justice League, but and that is the goal of the game. You gotta <laughs> kill your babies, and you gotta kill Harley, and they will never kill Harley. Well, that's but that that's also how I felt about Suicide Squad. I was like, oh, it's coming out as a game. I was like, the movies kind of didn't really hit that much for me. So I was like, okay, I guess we'll, I'm gonna go play the game, and I'm gonna go play as Harley because I love Harley. And and then this happened. Um, Harley yeah, was my on. least favorite character to play. It was as. my least. <laughs> yeah. it was, they was did her my really least. Well. Yeah. Do you think they did that on purpose? I was thinking about that with Deadshot because I main Deadshot, and I was like, I don't I care about too. Deadshot. <laughs> and I was like, Do you think they made Deadshot like fun to play with with the jetpack because yeah. no one really cares about no, him? No, I think I think it's actually the opposite. I think the mm-hmm. other problem with this game is like you can't make this a shooter because it's like. Deadshot is the only character that that really makes sense with. Like, mm-hmm. Harley is not mm-hmm. the Punisher in comic yeah. book. You know what I'm saying? She has a baseball bat, but they're trying to, like, figure out how can we make King Shark and her yes, sir, yeah. like be playable characters in this world, and they're, they never really commit they, or find a way. Yeah, it, there is, when we're fighting the Flash and she's shooting her sheriff pistol, I was like, Harley, put it down. I was like, put it down. There's no, why are you using a, a, an eight bullet gun? 
I was like, at least King Shark has like that Odin or that giant or Ares or whatever the hell it is. I'm like, this is... They yeah. did her really the, dirty in the game. The, the live service aspects of it don't even bother me that much, at least until you get to the end and it becomes clear that, okay, they want to keep selling you stuff and pumping up new characters and getting you to buy season passes or whatever. But for most of the game, I think what bothers me is the fact that it's co-op multiplayer at all times, which can be fun, except that it means that all the characters kind of have to be cookie cutter, one size fits all, and they're very yeah. different characters. So it's cool that you can switch to any member of the Suicide Squad at any time, but ultimately they all have sort of similar movesets. They're all shooting. Every mission has to work for every character because they don't know who you're going to be playing as. And so you can't tailor any of the levels to a specific character and their skill set. It has to be something you can do with everyone, right? And so it's just kind of bland in that sense. And I feel like that is kind of ignoring the point, the perk of the Suicide Squad or having a squad to begin with, like switching between characters, you know, different movesets, like different ways to solve problems. If they're all going to be essentially the same when you boil it down, then even if it's sort of satisfying to play, there's just a sameness that sets in. I don't even think the characters, just like on a story level, I was like, who is Deadshot? They were just like, what if we combine Will Smith and Idris Elba, maybe? Yes, like, yes, just, yes. Just like a random black dude. Like, had they no... Did. Like, I was just like, what am I supposed to feel about this random black man? Like, and he has all, no personality. All he kept doing, I kept being like, great, he keeps talking about his daughter. Yes. I was like, stop, stop, who is he? There's always and a And then daughter. the other characters were like making like fucking boomer jokes and stuff. And I was like, oh man, we... We needed like a comedic pass on this really yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the banter is relentless. It's it never relentless. stops. Yeah. And and uh, you expect that with Suicide Squad, but I'm talking about like overlapping voices where I can't make out what someone's saying because three people are talking about the same time. And it's like a, a poor impression of James Gunn, you know? It's yes. like it's like James Gunn run through chat GPT or something where like every now and then there's kind of a clever line that might make you smile, but mostly it's like, yeah, like this is kind of a knockoff of the the name brand yeah. Suicide Squad dialogue. Well, it makes sense that they were like, oh, this was the one that did the best. Let's try to like not imitate it, but like go with that spirit. I yeah. get it. Uh, I really like the scene. Uh, that was the one thing I was going to commend. I was like, some of the jokes did make me laugh when uh, Harley grabbed his butt because she couldn't. <laughs> she, yes. If you get further in the game, there's a part where they're all frozen and Harley's the only one that's not frozen. And like an mm-hmm. idiot, she's too determined to like just grab Deadshot's butt and she freezes. Yes. She Which, says, uh, worth it. Yeah. Did you guys catch the horrible joke where I was like, ooh, where they find like the girl, like the little girl who's now poisoned yes. Ivy. And mm-hmm. then like Harley says like, what seems like a child predator joke. And I was just like, I like, I, I, like, I want to, uh, there's a line that like, she says after that's like, Oh, that didn't sound right. And I was like, Oh, uh, maybe we shouldn't have even put it in. Yeah. I was <laughs> just like, I think we could have, we could have just left that on the shelf. And that is actually my problem with suicide squad is that like for every time I would laugh, there would be 10 times that I didn't. Or mm-hmm. every like challenge that That's was true. really good, there was like five where I'm like, "Your guys," I was like, "Wait, did I do this already? Like, did I have the same style fight yeah. 20 minutes ago?" And I started going like insane. And I'm like, "I'm not progressing in this game, even though I was." Yeah. And I was updating my stuff, and I was still like, "I don't think my character's really getting better." 
Yes, I couldn't I notice. Like, it's true, right? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I you, you get loot, like you get new guns, and ones you know rare or uncommon or legendary or whatever it is, and it's like I guess the numbers are bigger now when I shoot this, and the damage points show up, but I can't actually tell the difference, right? So it was like not much incentive to keep playing for that purpose, at least for me. Like I'm not going to be grinding in this game to get a better gun. Yeah, I will say I, I'm trying. I'm trying to say good notes. Um, I will say one of I did like the part where Flash does kill Lex Luthor and then just throws his heart at Boomerang. And I was like, that's kind of cold. I was like, that's kind of cold. And I like that a lot because I remember that scene happened. I went, damn. I was like, it's not hard to kill Lex Luthor when he doesn't have anything. But I was like, that's just cold blooded. And I like I mean, it. But I also the only thing that like the reason I couldn't get too into it is also because the Justice League is so kind of underwritten where they just kind of seem like they're like powerful. I get it. But anytime they show up, I'm like the flash and green lantern kind of suck. Like, I don't, I don't, I actually, I guess maybe that's the point. You should want to yeah. kill them. They're jerks, mm-hmm. but it just like, wait, but if the suicide squad are jerks and the justice leagues are jerks and everybody working with Amanda Waller are jerks, it's just a bunch of characters I don't care about. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. Like, that's hey, true. It's like, who are we rooting for? <laughs> I was not rooting for anyone. I was just like, black man missing his daughter. Don't care. King fucking shark doing whatever, being like humans. What, what are you going to do with them? Don't <laughs> care. I, I, someone on TikTok or Twitter released like, damn. And I didn't think about it until I started watching it again. Where I was like, I don't like that we're making Green Lantern and Deadshot beef and their dialogue is a little too aggressive of two oh, black men yes. going at each other. And I went I went back and I watched it and he's like, damn, just another convict. And he's like, what you say? And they're like going off. And I was like, the other ones aren't having dialogue like this. They're just like, the one between Batman and Harley was actually kind of serious and emotional. This one's just you guys wrote two black men fighting each other with the lowest form of like fight. I don't like it. I was also, like, <laughs> also, both of them were like you could not distinguish between either no. of them. They were both the same stock black man. So I was just like, <laughs> guys, come on, we gotta, why we, we gotta do, do some. We gotta just. Why did we do this? One thing I like since we're trying to say some positive things early in the game, when you kind of take a tour of the Arkham games, you kind of go through a museum that reminds you of all the high points of previous Arkham games and you're getting stalked by Batman. So it's sort of a role reversal where you're on the other side. You're the criminal Batman's hunting down, putting you in the place of your player character in the previous Arkham games. That was cool. But it also raised my expectations for the rest of the game. And then the rest of the game let me down because there just wasn't much more like that. And if anything, it just reminded me how great those (laughs) other games were and how much less great these games are. So there's just not a lot of personality to the world. You know, it's sort of like you're swinging around almost Spider-Man like it's kind of like Spider-Man when the symbiotes are taken over. But there's just not much to do in this open world. And when you have a side mission, a side activity, it's the same as the main missions. It's just more purple dudes, just like in different variations. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't have anything against waves and waves of purple metahumans. It's just not enough motivation for me. They tried. I think that's where we're we're circling. They tried. Like, I did. There was some things to enjoy. You know, it's just, hey, the first time you, you try a new recipe. Mm-hmm. It's gonna fuck up, and, yeah. and Rocksteady seemed like they tried a recipe they weren't ready to handle, and that's yeah. Okay. 
And so I wonder what comes next, because Rocksteady's co-founders, Sefton Hill and Jamie Walker, they left Rocksteady already at the end of 2022, subsequently started their own studio. So they had a huge hand in this game, but didn't see it through to the end. I wonder what lessons, if any, are learned from this game and not just this game, but Gotham Knights, Marvel's Avengers, right? These are all sort of in the same live service mold superhero world. And over and over, it's just kind of blah. There's not enough compelling content to keep us coming back. Seems like it should work, you know, just throw a bunch of superheroes in a big open superhero world. But the core gameplay loop has to be compelling to keep us coming back. And other than the Insomniac games, I mean, you could throw Midnight Suns in there, which I think was a better game, but didn't sell well. I didn't love it personally. It's tough to nail these things. And I wonder whether this makes anyone go away from this model as gamers get increasingly frustrated with live service games. WB executives, the beloved David Zaslav, he has doubled down on this and has been like, we want everything to be live service. We want all our IP to be generating revenue forever. And meanwhile, like Hogwarts Legacy, a WB game was the best-selling game of 2023, and that was a single-player game. So I don't know if they're just drawing the wrong lessons here or whether this could be done well and just wasn't in this case. My, my last question for y'all before I depart, because what you what you just said so eloquently, Ben, I, I've been wondering this, and, and I'm not as entrenched in the video game world. Do you think the industry is like heading for a bubble or an implosion? If they like if every single studio is like, we want our own Fortnite, we all we want our own online thing, and they're kind of yeah. rushing this shit out. And yeah. yeah, people are just like, we just wasted all of this money, time, and there's already been a bunch of layoffs so do you think we're heading for a bad kind of cliff yeah there was a survey recently where like 95 percent of developers said they were working on live service games however you define that it's tough you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't because one reason why there's been this shift toward live service games is that it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to make a triple a big budget game now and several years and hundreds if not thousands of people and that's a one-time product if it just comes out and doesn't sell like spider-man 2 then you're screwed because you don't have a recurring revenue source. So everyone's like, okay, we can put those resources into these live service games and they'll just keep generating revenue forever, except they have to be good games. And also the market is really crowded where there's only one Fortnite and everyone has already found their live service game that they like. So it's really tough to break into that mold. So yeah, <laughs> you're sort of screwed either way. And I don't know what the solution to that is. Damn, just like superhero movies. Yeah, You I know. hate to see it. <laughs> you, and wait, I wonder you wait to see it. how much of it is superhero fatigue. Like, I feel like the, if this was a good game, the fact that we've been inundated with superhero stuff would not prevent me from playing oh, and liking it. I don't think it's it. superhero fatigue. I think it's no. more so like we can only, every game has to be a live game. Every movie right. has to be $200 million budget. And I'm like, yeah. mm -hmm. I know, like we can have smaller games, medium-sized games. Mm -hmm. Honestly, a lot of the AAA games, I'm like, they don't have to do as much as they do. Like yeah. you can scale back. Like I, I like, the fucking main story all the mm -hmm. other like here's gobbledygook shit that you could you could spend an hour trying to find don't yeah. give a fuck like don't get <laughs> they're always indies <laughs> i guess all right so we're actually on the same page here i think this is not a total disaster train wreck as people anticipated there are 100. good aspects to this maybe they can salvage it somehow we've seen plenty of live service games subscription-based games that get better as they go on this one might be too flawed fundamentally to have that kind of transformation, but I wish them well because we've had plenty of layoffs in this industry as it is. 
Charles, I guess you're saying that Deadshot from Suicide Squad will not be inducted in the next Black Heroes of Fandom draft. That seems to be the takeaway or from this conversation. Star, <laughs> or, Star Ruckus. Star Ruckus. Or maybe, maybe. Honestly, we've run out of Black Heroes, so he might just have to. <laughs> He's the it's only cool. one left on the board. Yeah. Oh, God. There's just so many Black superheroes that lost their child and are fighting for them. How about Hack? Where I Hack depart. is in this game. I like Hack. No. And that's where Wait, I depart. But that's the last one. Also, before I depart. No more Black Heroes who are, like, fucking technologically like advanced or electricity powers. Yep. That's, mm. I'm like, give us, give us some more stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I would you. like superhero games to establish their own original characters. Like Hack is showing up and Toy Man is showing up. And it's like, it'd be nice if we could make an original character who came from a superhero game instead of pulling from pre-existing superheroes. But that would that'd require a good game. Yeah. All right. Charles, thank you for coming on. Thank you. We wish you well with Madam Web. Hopefully this, this primed you for that conversation. Best movie of the year. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Brooks. Calling all running nerds, Brooks has just dropped the Go 16, a sweet name for an even sweeter shoe. If you're looking for comfort for that morning jog or when you're hopping on that treadmill, look no further than the Go 16, which has a nitrogen-infused cushioning. That means it's nice, soft, and lightweight. So you got the comfort, but you don't sacrifice the speed. Turn those everyday miles into everyday endorphins and the better than ever Brooks Go 16. Click or tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. You will not make the stand alone. All right, Jess. Just you and me here now. And producer oh. Isaiah, let's finish the fight. So, the nine-episode first season of Halo aired on Paramount Plus in 2022. Now it's back for eight more episodes with a new showrunner, David Wiener, and something of a new direction, although also some of the same old flaws. The first season was divisive, I'd say. It had its moments. There were aspects I enjoy. Sounds like we're still talking about Suicide Squad here. But on the whole, I found it to be mostly mediocre, but in an almost uniquely weird way. I never felt like the creators had a great grasp of the story they wanted to tell. And frankly, I still don't. I'm sad to say. What do you make of Halo season one and the new and perhaps slightly improved Halo season two? New and slightly improved? I wrote something for this and I'm only going to read it only because I had to stew on it. And yeah. I think this is going to be, this is my news resolution to myself. When I critique things, because I always do word vomit, maybe write it down before I say <laughs> it. Uh, so I get it all out. So I said, <clears throat> 
<clears throat> if I rank this entire series as a television show, I'd give it a five. <laughs> season one and what we've watched of season two, I'd give it a five. If Not I ranked out it as of a five, I'm guessing. Oh no 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 no! Sorry for any confusion. Absolutely not. Out of out of twenty. No, I'm joking. Out of ten. If I ranked it as a video game adaptation, I'd give it a six. And if we were to rank only season two, I'd give season two a six point five. As a whole, the storylines are kind of everywhere and stiff. The characters' emotions are really just shoehorned into the storyline, which makes it very less impactful for myself. Even as a fan of the games, I don't expect one hundred percent fan service. Not at all. But with every opportunity they get it, they fumble the bag. Season two has the bones that I wish season one had. The pacing season one was so slow that probably left a lot of people disinterested quickly. For Paramount and Paramount Plus, I think it's a great live action adaptation to take, like to take Halo as a series. You guys have money. Take it. Go ahead. Run with it. I think you guys had the money to do it. With that all being said, on a high note, I think they're not necessarily cooking still, (laughs) but I think they got a ton of ingredients. They just Mm -hmm. don't know what to make. And now with season two, they're kind of like, let's make a souffle. And I'm like, take a step back. Take a step back. Let's make a cake first. They followed the instructions, the recipe, just in the wrong order or something. You know, it's like. That's why I wish it was season one. Like, I wish they would have. Right. Yeah. The press tour for season two has really been something because there's been. Lots of pandering to aggrieved gamers, right? I think people who were upset that it didn't follow the game canon. So there's been lots of talking up of mm-hmm. the importance of the helmet and promising familiar moments from the game. And most notably, Pablo Schreiber, who plays Master Chief in multiple interviews, saying very strongly that it was a huge mistake for there to be a romance storyline between Master Chief and McKee in season one, which I don't disagree. But but it is unusual, I think, for the star of your show to come out and say so explicitly before season two even starts, like, ooh, we majorly messed up, right? Like, maybe down the road, right? Maybe reflecting, looking back, but that quickly doing He's that tired. kind of damage control and expressing that sort of frustration. You know, there's been a, a change, obviously, with the showrunners, and maybe that empowered him to speak up and and air his grievances here. But you don't typically see that sort of messiness aired publicly, which seems like it's possibly a reflection of what was going on behind the scenes here. Sort of the same question we asked about Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think he's I, I also get like as an actor, you're like, uh, hey, I, I also protecting myself, not like throwing it yeah. under the bus, but like Dakota Johnson's doing that with Madam Webb. She's like, <laughs> I don't I also didn't know. Yeah. So what are, what are you guys yelling right. at me about? Right. And um, so I get that he's like, I didn't understand this like direction at all, but I'm yeah. also just reading the script. Right. Um, and who knows how much harassment everyone involved in the show uh, has gotten from gamers who are famously not measured when it comes to expressing certain criticisms, right? Some <laughs> subset of the audiences for these things. And just to get one thing straight here, I don't even subscribe to some of the common complaints about the first season of Halo. It doesn't bother me that this show diverges from Halo canon. I mean, yeah. Halo means a lot to me. I love the Halo games, but the Halo expanded universe, which, you know, is extensive and and some people really like, it's not something I've really dived into. So it doesn't bother me that much that this is its own timeline. It doesn't bother me that there are characters in the show who aren't in the games. Generally, I'm in favor of doing something different because if you're just remaking the games, I've already played the games. Nor does it bother me that we see Master Chief's face or Master Chief's butt for that matter. Bring on the butt. It is a butt I don't, befitting I a super soldier. Don't mind the butt. 
It's that helmet fun. stays on. And yeah. the, my my beef with the helmet coming off, and mm-hmm. this goes from someone that played the games. I didn't even care that it was because of the games that pissed people off. I wanted, I was like, Master Chief is different. Like Master Chief is like, he's just so cold that mm-hmm. I don't want to have really, I don't really want that much humanity from the guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I, I get that we're, and I kind of like what they're doing now. I understand now I separated the two that I'm like, no, this Master Chief is emotional. This yeah. one had a chip in him that he took out and now he's like pouring out with emotions. But I was like, at the beginning, when he took, as soon as he took that helmet off, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to see that stupid little face. <laughs> I want to believe you're a robot with nothing in front of, like behind you. See, mm. if that were the case though, I, I think it would be tough to structure a long running yeah. series around that 100%. kind of character, unless the supporting cast was really deep and rich and it was a great ensemble series, which in this series case, I just don't think they have the chops for that. So, you know, I mean, people have pointed out like, hey, the Mandalorian's good. He doesn't take his helmet off. If anything, I think the Mandalorian is good in spite of that. And if Pedro Pascal were ever on set, Lucasfilm would probably prefer to show his face sometimes, too. I would like that as a viewer. So that's not my main complaint. But but I I do just have major fundamental complaints or just I'm mystified. I'm not mad. I'm mystified. I'm just really kind of confounded. You can hear the heat in your voice (laughs) of how confused you are. I I told you I was going to maybe have to go on a rant here because it's just it's weird in in such a unique way, right? Where the complaints I have about it are just like, what was going on in the writer's room here? I don't want to impugn anyone personally, but I'd love to see the process of like breaking the show and saying, what do we want the show to be about? How do these characters factor into that narrative? How do Mm -hmm. they connect? Because in many cases, the answer is they don't for really long stretches of time. And the standalone stories aren't always super compelling when it's not clear how they connect to the larger Mm -hmm. narrative. And there's an attempt to do a total reboot here, right? And so I think in some ways it's improved. I think Pablo Schreiber, who I think is a pretty good Master Chief, he's more ripped than ever. He's super jacked now. He was pretty jacked before. He's even more jacked. The action is more intense and I think maybe more cinematic than before. And they've gotten away from that temptation that they had in the first season to do that Doom movie thing where they put you in the first person perspective of a Halo player. And it's like you see the HUD and you hear the shield recharge sound and it's like, ooh, I'm playing Halo, but it's in the Halo show. You know, I don't necessarily need that. I can go play Halo if I want to play Halo. They've gotten away from that. But in their attempt to just have a fresh start, and a hard reset, it's a really jarring transition from season one to season two. Yeah. I won't spoil anything beyond the first episode. We've seen the first four. The first two are already well, up. the second but... one dropped. Yeah, the second one dropped. Yeah. Now, Halsey, who was slated for execution last season, is now just sort of chilling in custody. It's like, well, what is she doing? Why is she around? Why are they keeping her here? At the end of last season, Cortana took control of John's body. And the cliffhanger was, will she be able to bring him back? Well, now he's back. Cortana's cut out. That's that. That tension, such as it was, is diffused immediately. Quan Ha spent the whole first season essentially trying to free this colony called Magical and discovering that she was a guardian of some sacred portal there. And now in the early moments of season two, we find out that Magical got glassed by the Covenant. (laughs) Magical's just gone and yet Quan Ha is still a character. It's like, I don't know what these characters' motivations are. I don't know yeah. what they want. I don't know from moment to moment. It's it's not necessarily like I'm always bored or or that I don't 
like these characters or I like some of the performances. Certainly, I, I really appreciate some of the performances. I, I think Natasha McElhone is good as Halsey. I like Bokeem Woodbine as Soren. I like Danny Sapani as Captain Keys. I like Kate Kennedy as Kai. Maybe we disagree there. <laughs> but... I love I love the actor. I actually don't <laughs> like the actor that's doing Soren. I love that actor okay. as a person and then other roles he's been in. Yeah. But Soren, I'm like, this is just well, him yeah, being himself. Right. And because it's just like, why, what is Soren's purpose here? Right. Or, yeah. or Quan Ha, who I don't mind in isolation as a character and who I think is portrayed well by the actor Yaren Ha. But it's just like, how are you part of this larger narrative? You know, like Chief dropped you off early in, in season one. And now I'm still watching your adventures, but I don't know what they're leading to or what you want, especially now after Madrigal. So there's still a lot of that. And maybe it's just that it's tough to tie up all those loose ends and plot threads, but in some ways just sort of severing what was out there and just being like, okay, let's, let's retrench, let's restart this thing. It's even more jarring now because it's like, wait, how did we go from that to this, you know? Yeah, and that's why I was saying like as a television show, it's very low for me because I'm like, it's just so, I don't, it's... <sighs> See how frustrated I am yeah. <laughs> trying to explain yeah. it? It's like even watching it, and I know that we all, like especially here at The Ringer, everyone's watching a lot of television. We mm -hmm. consume a lot of media. So we're a little bit more nitpicky, but it is like just confusing. Yeah. And I don't know what direction it's ever going in. And the choices that are made, I'm just like so confused in. A piece of me at first was like, okay, is it that there's just too many characters? I'm getting distracted by like Riz healing and <laughs> like the Spartans that I don't really need to know about. Like I understand like hearing the story that they were all clone children that are getting abused and taken in here and chipped. That's great. I don't yeah. really need to see more of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a new character now, James Ackerson, played yeah. by Joseph Morgan from the Vampire Diaries, who's the new head of ONI is overseeing the Spartan program. And he's just like so sinister you know, and they they try to like humanize him by showing him away from work with his dad and everything. But it's just like, well, why are nah, you? He's he's got to be. He's the villain. He's like he's doing it for he's, something. He seems good. villainous, but maybe he's not underneath it all. But it's just like, why are you acting like this? Like, why? Why is Chief in the dark? Like, he's your most important asset in this war. I get that he's been a little unreliable. He took out his chip. He's thinking for himself now. But also, like, why are you lying to him constantly? It's just kind of adding conflict and, and drama. I mean, I know that there's some of this in the games, too, but it's just, again, leading to kind of confusion about why anything is happening at any particular time. Out of all the storylines, like Quan Ha's in the first season, I was more, I think, most invested in. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I get this. I get the justification. She's upset. She's just blindly going into rage or whatever. Yeah. Um, I get it. Uh, this season... That storyline is the only one that has me is the Ackerson Halsey mm -hmm. situation, because I think it's like the mind of two. One brilliant person, yeah. <laughs> Halsey's Halsey's brilliant. I don't know about Ackerson. He's kind of stupid. He's <laughs> getting basically tricked by Cortana. But I'm like, I, I like what's going on here. And I'm more interested in that scenario of like trying to keep Halsey under wraps, but also being a villain. Mm -hmm. That's like the only part that I'm really invested in. I Quan Ha, I want more from and i don't yeah. think they're gonna 
give her anything else. I think she's just going to wander with that guy's son forever. <laughs> I yeah, I understand the impulse to like, OK, Sorry. let's put a, a human face on this war. You know, it's not just super soldiers and giant aliens like there's collateral damage. There are people who are impacted by this. That's all well and good. But it's just not tied into anything. And it seems like it's just sort of a dead end at this point. I assume they have some sort of plan. I hope they do. Like, I, I don't mind the character. Again, I just want the character to have more to do yeah. because it's tough when you have this existential threat of the covenant and, you know, the Marines are on the run and humanity's on the verge of extinction. That's a great backdrop for the season, but it also makes it kind of tough to care about the smaller stakes yeah. stuff. It's like, let's get back to this battle for survival because ultimately that's what's going to matter most here. So it's still just frustrating in an unusual way. And, uh, you know, not to be too simplistic about this, but I got to say, we're a season and a half into Halo. There's no Halo in the well, show. Yes. You okay. know, that, that would be one of my notes. Like maybe have some in the Halo sky and see something in the no Halo. One, one of the Halos. Yeah. Like I'm not saying, you know, in Halo Combat Evolved, the first game, literally the first second you see Halo. Now, I'm not saying it had to be that. Because there's been a trend, I, I feel like, in video game adaptations to sort of slow play that and, and have us build up to the stakes. Like with Twisted Metal, for instance, the Twisted Metal tournament is not in season one. You yeah, know, they make true. you care about the characters and then, OK, that's we'll pit true. them against each other in season two. Or Mortal Kombat, the movie. There was no Mortal Kombat tournament in that movie, right? The, the new one. I still like the movie. And then, OK, it gets you psyched for the second one. But we're now, at least you and I, 13 episodes into this thing. And we haven't seen Halo aside from those season one sort of mystical, are we really on Halo, you know, McKee and Master Chief yeah. sort of scenes. And at some point, like, we got to get there or we got to have some progress toward there, not just because it's the name of the show, but because it's one of the things that makes this property like, so compelling. Get, get your ass to Halo now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get one it of these on days. There. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like, um, like 2005 kind of TV. Yeah. Um, and then it also is like it reminds me of what adaptations kept trying to do um, back, back, back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm trying because my mom watched the show before I did. Wow. She watched the first season and she was like, that's eh, all right. And mm -hmm. I was like, what did you like about it? And she yeah. was just like, easy to understand. I know what they're fighting for. And <laughs> well, I was like, OK, maybe so we it know reminded too my much. Mom, it's hard for maybe, us to understand. <laughs> that's why I said we are also very picky. Yeah. We watch, we consume a lot of media and mm -hmm. we also review it. But I was like, my mom was like, this is like it reminds her of like 2005 Fox, like a space Fox show, 20th yeah. century Fox show. And she was like, yeah, I, it was easy. And I was like, right. OK. Yeah, Go there off. is some of that. Go maybe off. from a production standpoint, I actually think the CG is is pretty good. I, I think feel it's like, better in the second season. I do. I think it's better sets. in the... I feel like the set design sometimes mm -hmm. is where the cheapness shows through. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, this is a set somewhere. This does not convince me that this is futuristic marine barracks or some, yeah. you know, the rubble kind of place out in space. So that's part of it. But I don't know. I want to like it. There are aspects of it I do like, but it just seems too muddled from a storytelling perspective. Like they kind of just need someone to come in and just be like... What story are you trying to tell here? Let's just boil yeah, this down to the on? essential elements, which is maybe yeah. what the new showrunner tried to do. And it's just hard to turn on a dime and do that. But it yeah. just doesn't get all the way there, at least not yet for me. I will say they take their notes because I mm -hmm. do think a lot improved from the first season. Uh, but that writing was the one thing that I was like, this didn't really improve. You guys got yeah. things a little bit quicker, but I'm still it's muddled. And yeah. 
I don't know if they're going to get a third season. It seems like Paramount has the money in which to do that if they want. And it does have a fan base, so I don't see mm-hmm. it not. But I mean, personally, I i don't really see it. But on that third season, maybe they fix those things. It's just insane. That's like, oh, it doesn't get fixed till the third season. Yeah. Uh, if we're getting nine episodes an hour apiece, that's insane to be happening by the third season. Yeah. <laughs> like, I... I can't live by that. I can't stand. I can't stand on that. Yeah, there are some set pieces in the season that are pretty impressive and that's better, I think. Right. But yeah, the writing on a a dialogue level, like in the first season, just lots of like repeated statements about, you know, what if while we're fighting for our humanity, we lose our humanity, you know, just like very plainly stated. Here are the emotional stakes of this series. Not subtle at all. You know, that kind of that kind of writing and storytelling. But it's more just like, you know, uh, how is this going to get from point A to point B? That's that's what I want to know. And, you know, we've been patient. We've given it a chance here and I don't hate it on a moment to moment level. And yeah, like, you know, you're going to bring McKee back. I mean, okay, I saw that coming. You know, it's a video game adaptation. It's the same with Suicide Squad. Everyone dies. Where does the DC verse, you know, multiverse, Elseworld, whatever, go from here? Everyone's dead. Okay, how do we go from here with this? I'm okay with bringing back characters due to Covenant magic or Halo ring magic or whatever (laughs) it is, right? You know, I accept that stuff, but I just, I need it to be more coherent kind of on an episode to episode, moment to moment. Level. I think I would genuinely probably sit and watch it if the episodes were like 30 minutes because I'm yeah. like eh, easier to digest mm-hmm. in an hour. All of that pure dialogue. Also, the fights are not that long. I'm like, there's just you're, we're adding so much in the dialogue that I'm mm-hmm. like, OK, got it. Now what you got four things on your plate. <laughs> so yeah. where are we going from there? Yeah. Okay. It, it it reminds me of just like a bunch of better shows that were sort of run through some filter, you know, just kind of like <laughs> like I was saying about the gun like dialogue in Suicide Squad. You know, it it'll look like things it will remind me of other shows that I really like, other sci fi shows, the space footage, et cetera. And then it's just not quite at that same level of quality. I'm rooting for it, but it can be tough to hang with it sometimes. I root for any fan like shows like this. I'm like, yeah, I want your fan base to keep thriving. Uh, if mm-hmm. your fan base loves it, keep it going. I love Halo, so I'm genuinely and the actors. I honestly just feel bad. Like they are trying so hard in these press, these press releases yeah. to be like, you guys, we changed for you and you still are complaining. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys got it. Keep going. Give them work. Everybody that works on it, that likes it, keep it going. I'm you. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I was, I was telling Ben, I was like, I like, unfortunately I like the suicide squad more than I like the halo series. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoo, I had to keep rewinding it. And I mean, yeah, I have ADHD, but I was like, there was, I literally blacked out. I took my ADHD medication, watched the show and would still be like, shit, I got to rewind 30 minutes. I was like, I I just, I blacked out. Like I literally sat there. Yeah. Well, as Chief says in Halo Infinite, we all fail. We all make mistakes. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us human. That applies to TV production too. It applies to podcasters also. Who knows? Maybe it's us. Maybe it's a skill issue. Maybe it's a viewing comprehension problem on our part. But I try to come with different perspectives, but then sometimes I realize I'm the one coming out with the harshest reviews. And I <laughs> I didn't mean to. I, I personally come from a I like this. I like the games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cheered for it. Yeah, we want to like things. We want to have yeah. a good time here on Button Mash. Well, Jess, it is always a good time when you're here. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> always happy to have you back. If you're not back for Final Fantasy, then I know you will be back for your personal rebirth, Princess Peach Showtime. 
That's when circled on the calendar. We will definitely be potting with Jessica Clements about and that I, game. I will love it. I'll say it right now. I'm going to love it. I'll, okay. I'll hold me to it. And then I'll start the podcast with, I love it. Okay, now I need to tell you the truth. <laughs> now I need to tell you the truth. No, I'm going to love it. I'm so excited. Mm. All right. We will talk to you then, if not before. Thanks also to Matt and Charles for joining us. Thanks to Isaiah Blakely for producing. Thanks to Arjuna Remkpal for his senior management. Email us at ringiversegaming at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our Final Fantasy pods, as well as upcoming coverage of Super Bowl trailers, Madam Web, Avatar, and The Bad Patch. As John117 says at the end of Halo, we're just getting started. So wake me when you need me. <laughs>